Hello and welcome to the Advance Your Wealth video series for Convergent Wealth Partners. Today, our topic is going to be our Q3 2021 investment themes. But before I dive into the topic of the week, I just want to hope all, all of you had a wonderful 4th of July weekend, stayed safe, but really uh, enjoyed uh, celebrating a chance to uh, really get out and uh, kind of enjoy things as we began to uh, open up uh, the economy again. With that, let's dive into the agenda for the video today. First, we're gonna to touch on Q2 uh, market uh, review, as well as our outlook for Q3 in terms of what's happened uh, across the stock market it was an exciting quarter. Uh, next, we'll touch on some of the economic numbers that came out in Q2 and also how we think that will influence what comes in Q3. And also we're gonna talk about the importance of managing your wealth for all seasons. To start us off, though, we're going to talk about uh, the markets in Q2 and the outlook for Q3. Coming into the quarter, we anticipated we would be in what we call Quad 2, which is accelerating GDP growth and accelerating inflation. And it really didn't disappoint. And we ended up uh, the quarter doing extremely well across the board uh, from a market perspective. So let's dive into how some of those numbers turned out. If we look at the major indices, the S&P 500, NASDAQ, uh, we saw pretty much across the board some pretty outstanding performance, but leading the way was the NASDAQ, uh, with, the, with the NASDAQ 100 being up around 11% on the quarter, uh, followed relatively closely by the S&P at 8%, S&P 500, so outstanding returns from an overall uh, market perspective um, as that Q2, Quad 2 uh, really played itself out. Uh, the Dow uh, returned around 4.5% and the Russell 2000 small cap index was just under 4%. So not quite as well as some of the larger cap um, and tech names. But still uh, pretty well overall, but what was interesting in the quarter is we saw a continuation of the same theme that we saw in Q1 where pretty much every single month, and you can see it on the chart to a certain extent, we saw some level of episodic and non-trending volatility that had a, a drop in the markets kind of midway through each of the months, which led to a lot of people being concerned that, hey, is a major shift coming in terms of how the market is going to perform. Uh, but in reality, it was just uh, some, some again, some non-trending and episodic volatility. And uh, you know, by staying invested and staying focused, um, you were able to see some really solid returns throughout the quarter. Some of the other uh, important factors we want to look at is the bond market. So Q1 saw the bond market struggle quite a bit as rates went up significantly from where they were previously. We saw that reverse in Q2 where we saw the 10-year treasury go from over 1.7% back down below 1.5%. And that led to a solid 1.3% return on the aggregate bond index. So a solid performance from a bond perspective. So if you were in a diversified stock and bond portfolio, the equities definitely carried the day, but you also got some solid performance from your bonds uh, throughout the quarter as well. One of the areas that we've been highlighting so far this year that we thought would do well in a, in a quad two accelerating GDP, accelerating inflation environment would be commodities. And again, commodities didn't disappoint in Q2 with the index being up close to 10% uh, on the quarter. 
Another area that we thought would do well and, and outperform overall would be European equities. And they definitely did well uh, being up around close to 7%, not quite as high as, as US large cap and, and, and NASDAQ, but outperforming industrials and some of the other areas within the US equity market. So solid uh, Q2 for European equities. And part of the reason we, we felt they might outperform is they were laggards heading into Q2. Uh, and so we do anticipate that that um, outperformance may continue into Q3 because they were a little bit behind and opened the economy up. And uh, so we anticipate they'll begin to catch up here uh, pretty soon. Another area we thought would do better would be emerging markets. And when you look at emerging markets as a broad category, China is the most influential country within the emerging market index. And China, uh, kind of the opposite from Europe, uh, was the one that was out ahead of their economy reopening the, the soonest. And so they saw the best growth in the second part of 2020. However, they've been the laggard this year, and so they've brought down the entire emerging market complex. But if you focus on emerging market countries that are commodity focused, uh, they ended up performing slightly better, but the uh, emerging market index overall was up only about 3.4% on the quarter compared to 8% for the S&P 500. And some of the areas that, that we uh, thought would perform better from an overweight overall perspective continue to do well. Uh, energy was up close to 10%, financials up uh, close to 8%. We thought financials would do well because of rising interest rates overall. So even though we did have a pullback in interest rates uh, throughout the quarter, and you can see that from some of the, the performance of the uh, XLF later uh, in June, overall still, it was up close to 8% on the quarter. One of the areas that was looking really good early in the quarter was materials. The XLB index was up close to 12% uh, early in the quarter, uh, but fell off really severely at the end of the quarter, but still finished up about 4.5%. And then industrials was another area uh, that was up for the quarter about 4%, but again, not quite as well as the S&P 500. So overall, in, in terms of uh, what we learned in Q2 was that, you know, quad two really did drive uh, the return. So that accelerating GDP, which we expected, accelerating inflation uh, really uh, drove home uh, the, the, a solid performance in the stock market overall, in spite of uh, some of that episodic and non-trending volatility. Uh, the, the, our decision really to overweight commodities and energy in our models has really led to some solid performance overall. And, and so we are looking forward to uh, some of those same areas continuing to do well ahead. So at this point, we, we are anticipating that we will remain in quad two, so accelerating GDP and inflation for the very first part of quarter three. However, uh, ahead, all the things that have led to us being in quad two were easy comparisons to the numbers from 2020. So obviously with the pandemic in the first half of the year, all of the comparisons in terms of year-over-year corporate profits, uh, economic data, all was going to show dramatic increases in the first half. However, as we began to open up the economy in the second half of 2020, we're now going to have those comparisons to go against in the second half of this year. And so we anticipate the acceleration to, to slow down and maybe even begin to decelerate, which could lead us into uh, a little bit more concern around the economy and the markets overall. However, 
we do believe that the year-over-year numbers are still going to be really solid, even if the rate of change is decelerating a bit. So at this point, we don't see anything that is overly concerning just yet, at least uh, in terms of uh, some stock market performance. We don't see any major decline coming in, in, in the very near future. Although, as always, we'll be keeping a very close eye on the data uh, to determine if, if some of this bouts of volatility we've been seeing actually turns into more of a secular change in terms of what we see going on. So shifting gears, we'll go into more of the economic data that's driving some of this market performance. So what happened in, in Q2? And again, what do we anticipate coming in the quarter ahead? So first, we're going to touch on, on unemployment. Uh, effectively, over the quarter, unemployment didn't move very much in terms of the rate. It went from 6% down to 5.9%. But we did see a big jump in the jobs report in June that was just released. So we saw over 850,000 jobs reported. So we are beginning to see an acceleration in terms of the jobs. And uh, we'll talk about why we think that is here uh, in an upcoming slide. And we did see a very solid print on GDP, which is a quarter over quarter growth of 6.4%. Uh, that number was the Q1 reported number uh, over growth in Q4, which again, wasn't a surprise as we continue to see the economy uh, begin to open up and vaccine rollout continuing to accelerate. And so we saw a, a really nice uh, Q1 re number reported in quarter number two. So why did we see all of this acceleration happening? What are some of the catalysts behind all of this? It's really in what we expected to be some really easy comparisons. So uh, one of that is in terms of uh, corporate profits being easily easy comparisons. And uh, so that led to a large amount of uh, uh, massive acceleration in terms of uh, the, the rate of change in, in profit growth uh, from corporation. We saw over 40% uh, growth in profits, which has then led to uh, an acceleration in corporate buybacks recently as well, which has also supported stock prices. We also have seen some massive numbers in terms of retail sales and durable goods uh, reported. And so all the base economic data that drives the economy had some of the easiest comparisons that they will ever have in quarter two and compared to what happened in quarter two of 2020. And, none, and all of those numbers, not only did they not disappoint, but they were even better than was anticipated. I think everybody expected we would see some really big growth numbers there. And by far and away, they were they were uh, better than even um, all of the, the most optimistic uh, prognosticators predicted. Another big thing that, that we believe is not only uh, led to driving a lot of the growth in Q2, but may continue to support growth ahead is this really huge amount of pent up savings. And so uh, between uh, a large increase in income that we saw over the last year from stimulus, uh, as well as uh, uh, a lack or a or lower level of spending, there's about $2.4 trillion of pent up savings that's sitting on the balance sheets of Americans. And so we're not done yet with this potential opening up uh, a spending spree that many have been anticipating. And so we're starting to see some of that in these charts. So if we look at uh, the first chart here on the left is looking at uh, 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 the correlation between vaccine rollouts and TSA numbers at the airport and the throughput. And so it's continuing to accelerate and we anticipate um, as the economy continues to open up over the summer that these numbers are, are gonna only accelerate even more. And then also uh, prices uh, continue to be pressured uh, due to a number of areas, but you know, because the economy hasn't fully opened yet uh, up yet, uh, we are still seeing many supply chain um, problems and that's leading to supply shortages, which is leading to price increases. So the big question a lot of people have 
is, is this inflation what the, the Fed is terming transitory, meaning that it's just around only because of these supply chain issues, or is the inflation we're starting to see going to lead to more of a secular change where we're going to have a more sticky inflation that's going to stay around at a much higher level than we've seen in the past? That's really the big concern is that if we uh, don't see inflation come off of the, the levels that it is right now, even as supply chains begin to normalize, could we be heading to a more of a secular inflation that we saw in the 1970s that did have a pretty negative effect overall on the stock market? So that's a big one we're keeping an eye on. So where do we see uh, GDP and inflation heading in the near future? We do anticipate the, the, the quarter two GDP number to be released in Q3 is going to be off the charts. So in terms of a year over year uh, growth number, we anticipate that to be uh, over 10%. But then as we look ahead to the actual Q3 GDP that will be reported in Q4, we anticipate that number to be much more closer to 7%. So still extremely high compared to what we've seen in recent past, but a big deceleration from the peak that we are gonna be hitting here in Q2. Same thing with inflation. We're anticipating quite a large number uh, on inflation to be reported for Q2, well over 4%. But then after that, we anticipate that to decelerate into the, the high threes, but still remain much higher than we've seen um, in the recent past. So in terms of how we look at the economic quadrants, you know, quad two is accelerating GDP and accelerating inflation. We anticipate by the end of Q3 that we'll actually be in decelerating GDP and decelerating inflation, at least from a rate of change standpoint. The biggest difference to this type of a, a quad four where we have that decelerating GDP and inflation from the past is that it's not in a situation where we are actually seeing negative GDP growth um, or deflation overall. We actually are still seeing relatively high numbers from a GDP and inflation standpoint. So that's why we mentioned earlier, we don't anticipate at least at this point that this shift from a rate of change of acceleration to deceleration is necessarily gonna lead to a major stock market uh, downturn or implication from that. So again, lots to keep an eye on, but this is uh, how we see things playing out here in the next couple of quarters. So some of the other things we're keeping a pretty close eye on is uh, around you know that, that chart we showed earlier around there's 2.4 trillion of pent up uh, savings that's that's happened because of all the stimulus checks. Well, one of the major things that's happening here over June and July of 2021 is that over 20 states have uh, shut off or will be shutting off the uh, extended federal benefits uh, that came out of the pandemic for unemployment. And so one of the outcomes of that is gonna be fewer dollars going into the hands of those that are unemployed, um, or it's gonna force them back into the labor force. And we're not really sure yet which of those is going to be uh, the, uh, occur. And so we're not really sure yet what the impact will be, but if, if it is a slower move back into the labor force and people not immediately um, getting back to work in those states, uh, it is going to lead to a much larger drop in the savings rate uh, than we've had recently. Another thing that is uh, likely to happen and, and kind of dovetails off of our anticipation of a, a deceleration of the growth of inflation, at least, is that we're really hitting the peak comparables from last year. And so, you know, right now at the same time last year, we were really at the bottom 
uh, of all the economic data. And so one year later, we're now hitting kind of this peak ability to have these easy comparisons versus last year. So you can see on the chart on the right, all of the economic data from CPI and especially from energy begins to accelerate again uh, after uh, June uh, of last year. And so all of the numbers are gonna be coming down pretty severely from there. So where, where does that add in terms of a big picture, in terms of what we think will do well when we, when we look at the investment performance of Q2 and heading into Q3 and the economic data? Uh, it really hasn't changed much from what we thought would do well heading into Q2. So we'd still believe that inflation-focused equities and commodities should still likely uh, outperform. We also think real estate and the tech side of equities will outperform. And then as European equities and, and Europe as a whole begins to catch up with the rest of the world in terms of reopening the economy, you anticipate uh, European equities to outperform, as well as those emerging market economies that are uh, tied uh, to commodities in general. So as a wrap up, I want to touch on which we have been discussing quite a bit in our videos lately is this idea of managing your wealth for all seasons. You might ask, gosh, you know, Q2, Q1, we've seen a huge run up in the stock market over the last couple of quarters. Uh, you, bonds have begun to do well again. You know, why would we do anything other than simply stay in our traditional stock and bond investment allocations? Because it really has worked, especially over the last 40 years. But our belief is we may be heading to some, some major shifts uh, over the long term in the stock market and the economy, and we have to be considering some other asset classes uh, for that reason. Because if we look back at what's been really going on over the last 40 years, we started around 1980-81 with interest rates on the 10-year treasury being around 15%. And correspondingly, inflation was extremely high over double digits at that time. And we had just come out of a decade of the 1970s where GDP growth was, was really stagnant and really the stock market was flat over that entire decade. So we started the last 40 years with a pretty good setup for, the, for GDP to have the steady growth that it's had and for the stock market and bond market to perform at the level they have. But what if the last 40 years isn't reflective over how the market has performed over the last 100 years and, and longer? And you, know, you might say, though, well, if you still look at this chart, which is a chart over the last 90 to 100 years of the stock market, in general, the market just keeps going up and to the right over the long term. So again, why would we do anything other than be mostly invested and just jump in the S&P 500 index and hold it and maybe have some bonds to, to soften the blow? The problem with that is if you look back at those last 100 years or so, we've had three different periods where the stock market was essentially flat over at least a 12-year period. And when you add up those three periods together, you know this 25-year period uh, during the Great Depression through the 1950s, uh, the stagflation of the 1970s, and then the dot-com bubble bursting through the Great Financial Crisis, we've had over fit, around 50 years where the market was essentially flat out of the last 100 years. And during those three periods, we had pretty severe market downturns during those times. And the biggest issue is, what if it is uh, right at these peaks, whether it's in 1929, 19, late 1960s or, or 2000, what if that's right when you're ready to retire or sell your business and when you might actually need to be drawing off of your investment portfolio or right when you're needing your earnings to peak in your business before you sell it? What if that's the time that we head into one of these severe downturns? Could that have a significant impact on your ability to get the retirement income that you want or get the value out of your business that you want? And if that's a concern, what are some of the things you should be thinking about adding to your portfolio to protect yourself from that kind of a, of a risk?
And why I think this is so important, I really think this slide and the data in this is, is one of the most impactful uh, pieces of data that I've seen in the last year, is what does it take to generate an anticipated return, expected rate of return of 7.5%, and how has that evolved and changed over the last 30 years? And if we go back to just in 1995, in order to get a 7.5% rate of return, which if you look at what most pension plans are based off of, insurance companies run their numbers off of, endowments, they base it off of getting a, around a 7.5% rate of return. And if we go back to 1995, you could have gotten an expected rate of return of 7.5% simply by investing in uh, U.S. Treasuries, and which means you had an extremely low level of risk in order to get that 7.5% rate of return. If we fast forward just 10 years to 2005, that shifts to needing to be about 50% in bonds and having now 50% in stocks in order to achieve that same level of overall return. Fast forward 10 more years to 2015, it now takes almost 90% stocks and only about 10% bonds to get that expected 7.5% rate of return. And if you looked at it today, we don't have the data, but I bet it's even higher in terms of the amount of stocks you would need to have to get that 7.5% anticipated rate of return. And I think the biggest implication of that is if we look at that, that means investors in general have had to be more aggressive in their overall portfolio to get the same expected rate of return. And yes, they may have been rewarded over that time frame with the kind of returns we've seen in the stock market, but it's coming with a much higher level of risk. And so when we do see these, these bouts of volatility, like we saw in March of 2020, um, your overall wealth is severely impacted very quickly. And when you look at the standard deviation line at the bottom, uh, it took only, a, it, it, the level of risk would be a 6% standard deviation in 1995. Now it's closer to 17. So almost three times as much risk that you would need to take in your portfolio to generate the same level of return. So that's the concern that we have uh, overall, especially if we believe we might be heading into some sort of overall change in the economic environment due to the level of debt that we are seeing build up uh, due to potentially uh, a, an increase in the inflation uh, that we haven't seen since maybe the late 60s or early 70s. And so how, how do we think about it? But one of the big problems that we see uh, today is that most investment portfolios are constructed from an offensive, offensive point of view. And, you know, to use a sports analogy, uh, and I'll use soccer right now uh, for, uh, for that, is if you're constructing a soccer team, you wouldn't have only offensive players or forwards on the field that are only looking to score. Uh, but this is what most portfolios do. So when we look at how most portfolios are constructed, it's got a good mix of stocks, maybe some bonds, some real estate, whether that's uh, traded real estate or through investment real estate, private equity through, again, through an investment portfolio, through owning of a private business, and also some venture capital or startup investments. And, you know, people think they're diversified if they have all of those components. And historically speaking, that's what it kind of looks like. The problem is uh, when you're looking at your investment statement and all you see is green when the market's up, what that also means is that when the market's down, everything's likely to go down together. And we actually saw that in March of 2020, where even the treasury bonds were severely down at the beginning of March, as kind of all, all things were uh, hitting the fan uh, with the pandemic. So even if you had a significant amount of bonds in your portfolio, you still were exposed to a lot of volatility and downside in your portfolio. So for us, we believe you need to pair that offensive uh, group of investments um, just like you would with a soccer team, you would you not only would you have the forwards, you'd have your defenders and your goalie. You need to have those defensive players in your investment portfolio as well. So to build out your entire team, 
you need to add things like long volatility and tail risk, which do extremely well when we're in a more volatile market environment. Commodity trend, which does well when we're in a much more inflationary environment. Gold that does well uh, when we are seeing our currency debased and, and sometimes as well in an inflationary environment and other areas that we might look to to protect against a falling currency when things are highly volatile. And the reason we want to look at it from that total perspective of having a, a true diversification with both offensive and, and defensive players is that there are four different macro quadrants or economic cycles that we can be in. We can be in growth, decline, deflation or inflation or some combination of those. And what we wanna make sure we have is we wanna make sure we have investments that can perform well, no matter what environment that we're in. So in general, when we're in a growth environment, stocks tend to do really well. However, when we're in decline, long volatility and things that do well in volatile markets do well. Uh, when we're in a more inflationary environment, commodity trend is what's going to do exceedingly well. And when we're in a deflationary environment, bonds are going to typically do very well. And so the last 40 years, we've been in a, a growth cycle from an economic standpoint, while we've also been combining that with deflationary pressures, which is why stocks and bonds have done extremely well together. What happens if we shift to a more high inflation environment and more of a declining uh, economic condition where volatility and, and commodity trend might be the leaders in that environment? We don't know exactly when or if that's going to occur, but if it does, we want to make sure that our portfolios are able to provide for any of those economic environments. So really to us, what true diversification looks like is a combination of a number of stock uh, portfolios, U.S. large cap, mid cap, small cap, real estate, international, uh, a mix of different types of bonds, uh, depending on which uh, bond or which uh, interest rate environment that we're in. But that needs to be combined with a number of commodity trend strategies, as well as different components on the, def on the defensive side with long volatility, as well as some level of fiat protection with gold. That's what a true diversified portfolio looks like. And again, depending on your uh, your risk tolerance and, and your goals, you're going to have varying levels of all four of these components, but what we or of these five components. But what we've seen is when you combine these over time, you can produce really good investment returns overall by also reducing the total level of risk you're taking in your in, in your portfolio. And that's really what we're trying to do for our clients. So, in summary, overall, when we look back at what happened in in, in quarter two. Quad two, uh, accelerating GDP and inflation led to extremely good equity returns in quarter two. However, we do expect some level of deceleration in economic conditions in quarter three. Whether that leads to any sort of severe market volatility is, is yet to be seen. At this point, we don't think that it will, uh, but we'll be keeping a close eye on that. And then ultimately, if that kind of level of volatility were to be coming, it's important to have true diversification. So not having just stocks and bonds, but incorporating long volatility, commodity trend, and even some level of precious metals into your portfolio will be important going forward. So in summary, wrapping this up, you know, if you have any questions uh, or if you think any of, this, of the strategies we described today might be beneficial for your situation and would like to learn more about our offerings, uh, love to hear from you. Send me an email, homer at convergentwealth.com. Would love to talk with you. But other than that, we hope you have a wonderful uh, quarter three and we'll be back again each, each month with our monthly update to, to show our progress in terms of how, how the market actually performed uh, versus what we expected. Have a great day. All opinions expressed by Homer Smith are solely Smith's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Integrated Wealth Concepts, LLC, Integrated, or its parent company or affiliates and may 
have been previously disseminated by Smith on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Smith as a specific inducement to make particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Smith's opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither integrated nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Smith, integrated, its affiliates, and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Smith's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither Smith nor integrated guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed by Smith or anyone else. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or in the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned by Smith. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Investment advice offered through Integrated Financial Partners, a registered investment advisor. Integrated Financial Partners provides investment advisory services through several doing business as names. The information in this material is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Integrated Financial Partners does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice, or services. Please consult your legal tax advisor regarding your specific situation.